Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. All right, church, we're going to jump into the preaching portion of our morning now. We're going to be in Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there. We're going to be continuing our series in what's called the Good News Kingdom. Our series looking at the life of Jesus of Nazareth as seen in the book of Matthew, who was one of the followers of Jesus. If you've been with us throughout this year, over uh, January and February, we have been primarily in a season called Gospel Foundations, looking at some core foundational teachings, but now we are jumping back into our multi-year journey in the book of Matthew. And so just briefly to catch us up to speed, if you've been tracking with us in Matthew, we've been seeing Jesus doing a lot of miracles. He's been teaching a lot. He's been healing a lot. He's been showing... um, Not just that he is teaching about the kingdom, but he's showing how he himself is actually bringing in the kingdom. And one thing that we have to remember, church, because we don't often think about this in the Gospels, is that Satan was at work. He still is at work. But in the Gospels, Satan was at work. In Jesus' time and in our time, people were ensnared. And the pangs and fear of death, sin, separation from themselves, separation from each other, separation from God because of Satan and because of sin. So what does Jesus do to show that the kingdom is now at work? He throws the gauntlet down at Satan. The outcasts, he brings in. The sinners, he forgives. The dead, the lame, the blind, He restores them and brings life to them. He is throwing the gauntlet down against Satan. He's healing the lepers, the sexually promiscuous prostitutes that no one wanted to associate with. Jesus goes to them and welcomes them to his dinner table. Jesus is undoing what society had thought God was supposed to be like and the people that God himself would have associated with. But... Is everybody excited about this in the Gospels? Is everybody just so glad that Jesus is there? No. There are many who are not happy about what Jesus is doing. There are people who oppose him publicly, and then people who oppose him even privately. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious authorities of the day. They were ticked. They, very early on, are already planning to kill Jesus. Often when you think about Jesus and his life, his birth, his teachings, his miracles, then he goes to the cross, we think, oh, well, that's like at the end. No, no, at the very beginning, they're already putting plans in place to knock Jesus off. But do you know who else opposed Jesus? Do you know who else was not happy with what he was doing? His own family his own hometown. And that's what we're going to look at today. In one sense, some of his own disciples. 
They were giving ear service. They were maybe following him, but they were not truly entering the kingdom. So Jesus calls on those who assume they're in with him and says to them, you might need to check yourself. This section of Matthew, in one sense, is very heavy. And I want us to hear it rightly today. So we're going to be in Matthew 11. We're going to look at verses 16 through 24. Jesus says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He's got a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we approach this passage this morning, God, we acknowledge that as we approach your text, we need ears to hear. But God, on mornings like this, when judgment, when woe is being pronounced on people that assumed they were safe, God, we want to be cautious. Not because we are afraid of you, but because we don't want to assume wrongly. God, we don't want to flippantly handle your scriptures. God, we want to be people who are willing to have our own lives and hearts examined. And so Jesus, even this morning as I have tried to wrestle and to think through this text, I ask for help, God, to explain things clearly. Spirit, thank you that you are the one who works through the text and the teaching of scripture. So I pray, God, for every man, woman, boy, girl, here today, that you, Jesus, would give us ears to hear so that we, Spirit, could know what it means to be in the kingdom with Jesus, to be in life and mission with Jesus. So we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, this passage, and as you just heard, is a heavy passage. And so we want to listen accordingly. We want to rightly question ourselves and listen to what Jesus wants to say to us today. Because what's happening here is that Jesus is looking at people whom he literally showed up in front of, literally performed miracles in front of, and telling them, you missed it. 
We often think, well, if I saw the miracles, I would believe for sure. Friends, no, you wouldn't. These people literally had God in the flesh in front of them, and they missed it. Jesus' own hometown crowd, Capernaum. When you see Capernaum, that's where Jesus' residence was. The people that he walked next to and said good morning to. The baker that he would have bought his bread from. They missed it. The towns of Chorazin and Bethsaida that it mentions in the text, those, those towns were just a little bit up the sea. These were towns that Jesus would have been to. These are towns that would have known about Jesus. They missed it. So why do, why do we assume that we're safe? Why do we assume, well, I know I'm in. I know I'm in the kingdom. Why do you think you are secure in Jesus today? Maybe it's because you're pretty moral. You know, I've got a good moral foundation, so I must be in the kingdom. Maybe you grew up in the faith. Maybe you've made major changes in your life. Maybe it's because you don't drink, smoke, or hang with people who do. Is that why you would say you are in the kingdom of Jesus? Often the best way, I was thinking about this in my own life this week, quick little pastoral confession. Often the best way to determine why we really think we're in the kingdom is to look at the types of people that we despise. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, I can't believe those people raise their kids like that. I can't believe those people use that for their money. Think about those people in your life. Often those types of judgments are why you think you're secure because you're not like that. Is that why you think you're in the kingdom? Often we think that we're in the kingdom because of how much I love Jesus. I just love Jesus so much. What's the grounding of that foundation? Jesus has been showing that standing in the kingdom means being in allegiance to him, but that that allegiance is grounded in his love for us, not how much we love him. So again, what we're going to do today is walk through this passage. We're going to ask Jesus to examine us. And so <clears throat> I would just ask you this morning, are you willing to have your heart examined? Maybe you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Let's put assumption aside. Maybe you are a new believer. Let's listen carefully. Maybe you don't even know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you don't even really know, do I really believe in this Jesus stuff or not? I would ask you today to consider, to examine what Jesus is calling us into. And maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm not in the kingdom of Jesus and I don't want to be. Bear in mind that you are in a kingdom. There is no neutral ground. You are in the kingdom of Jesus or some other kingdom. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's look at a couple points as we consider this passage. Number one, the point of the miracles that Jesus had been doing was an invitation to respond. The point of the miracles that Jesus had been doing was an invitation to respond. Jesus is making it really clear here that he'd been doing all of these miracles to kickstart, to evoke some kind of response from the people. 
The miracles, in one sense, you could think of were a catalyst to initiate a type of response. I, I use the word catalyst with some timidity. I am not a chemist. I don't claim to be. I barely survived high school chemistry, not college, high school chemistry. But I do know what a catalyst is. And Google helped me just to make sure I knew what a catalyst was. A catalyst is something you add with other things, other chemicals, other substances, to increase a reaction, to add speed to a reaction. So that's what a catalyst does. It's something you add to make something else happen or to happen faster. Friends, that's what the miracles were for. Jesus came and didn't just teach about the kingdom. He came and proved these miracles, but was it just to make the people be in awe? Was it just for them to say, whoa, that was really cool. I guess I'm just going to go about my day now. No, the miracles were a catalyst for something. Yes, they were showing that the new creation had come. Yes, they were showing that Jesus was kicking out death. But they were designed to have a certain reaction. That's what we're going to look at. Because as we've already seen, Jesus has traveled a lot. He spoke a lot. He's healed a lot. He, even just before this, he raised a dead girl uh, back to life. But what was the point? What was the catalyst supposed to be doing? Was it just to produce awe? No, the miracles were functioning to get a certain response. And that's what Jesus says at the start of the passage. Look at verse 16. He says, to what shall I compare this generation? Look at verse 16. He says, let me explain this to you. Then he gives this visual picture of these children. And you're like, okay, what is this talking about? Where Jesus says, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge for you. You did not mourn. What is going on there? He's talking about these children in the marketplaces. Jesus is saying that that generation, the people that he had been with, the people who had missed it, he's comparing them to children who are calling to their playmates saying, hey, we're singing the flute. Let's all dance together right now. This would have been a common practice in the marketplaces of those days that kids would come and they'd like call out to their playmates, hey, come play with us. And their friends are like, nah, we're good. And then it talks about the dirge. We played the dirge and you did not mourn. That's a funeral song. That's saying we were sad, we were in mourning, but you didn't enter into that either. The point Jesus is making is, I came and asked you to engage with me, like children do in the marketplace with their friends, but you refused. Even just this week, I was telling Jana this, like, isn't this what our kids do? They, like, do little things to evoke a response. So, like, my, my daughter Beatrice, she, she's not walking yet, but she is a speed crawler, and she'll, like, I'll kind of, like, set her down, and she'll just take off, but then she'll stop, and look back like, are you coming? Are you coming? And I'll kind of go after her a little bit, and then she'll stop. She'll look back, are you coming? If she started, she, she's wanting me to come chase her. She's wanting me to come follow her. But if she did that and looked back, and I just went, she'd be so confused. Like, come on, Dad. Like, come and play with me. Like, I'm, I'm wanting you to engage with me. She's inviting me to come and join with her in what she's doing. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's showing up. He's been with these towns. He's shown them what the kingdom looks like, and they missed the invitation. 
And I think for us, we need to pause. Even right now, we're going to get application right now and ask ourselves, are we responding to Jesus in the way he's calling to us? Have we, like Capernaum, Jesus' own hometown, have we just been assuming we're in? Have we just been assuming our relationship? So for you lately, how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to what we've seen in Matthew so far? In what ways is Jesus asking you to engage with him? I think we got, yeah, these, these questions on the board. In what ways has Jesus become boring? I think a lot of us, I'll put myself in the front of that list, often we're pretty bored in our relationship with Jesus. How do you respond to Jesus through suffering and trials maybe that he's bringing into your life right now? Again, this passage alludes to this call to mourning. How are you responding to Jesus lately with maybe areas in your life that you should be mourning? Taking stock of your own pain and sadness. Are you giving space to that? In what ways are confusing things happening in your life right now? Think maybe Jesus is calling you there? I would bet he is. So Jesus is calling us, he's calling them, he's calling us to respond in a certain way. But he's not just waiting around. He then gives a warning. And his warning is, don't arrogantly or ignorantly assume that you're in. This is the second thing we're going to look at. Don't arrogantly or ignorantly, ignorantly assume you are in. I use both of those words on purpose because I think that's what Jesus is hitting at. I think for some of these people and maybe for some of us, you just assume you're in. You just assume you're a Christian because of certain things in your life. You just assume because of how you've built your life, because of good things you've done for God. Of course you must be a Christian, you'd say. I think for others, maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you just assume, well, I got baptized, so I must be in. I go to church at Redemption Church every Sunday. Maybe sometimes I just, you know, watch the Facebook Live. But I'm in, right? I cleaned up my act. I don't do all of the bad stuff anymore, so I must be in, right? Church, do you see that that's exactly what these towns had done? Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. These were the good people. Good people. These were the cities that assumed that because they had a certain connection that they must be in. But what Jesus is showing us in these next verses, verse 17, 18, 19, is that not only did they assume, but they did worse than that. They actually avoided God by pretending to follow and listen to him. Look what it says about John. They had John the Baptist come. And John lived in one sense a very ascetic life. He was in the wilderness. He wouldn't eat and drink like normal people. He kind of seemed like this like huge outlier. And you know what they did? They'd listen to him, but then they said, nah, we don't want that guy. 
And then Jesus came and he had a job and he ate and he drank food. And you know what they did with Jesus? They rejected him too. So it's saying you had this type of guy come, found reason to reject him. You had this type of guy come, you found reason to reject him. One commentator said that their rejection of both John and Jesus had no logic because they were comfortably evading God's urgent claim. That people were evading what God was actually calling them to do. And again, what's Jesus saying to them? He's saying, not only did you miss it, but you even had me with you and you miss it. Jesus is saying, if Sodom, you guys remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah earlier on in the Bible, like it's this terribly pagan city that God's fire and wrath and judgment literally wiped off the earth. Jesus is saying, if that city had had an opportunity like you guys did, oh, they'd still be around. But you guys have literally had God in the flesh show up and you still missed it. So again, coming full circle, back in one sense to this question I keep asking, what makes you so sure you're in? What gives us such certainty? We could spend, in one sense, a lot of time talking about that, and I think maybe for some of us, there's probably some good digging to do there. How do I really know if I'm safe? How do I really know if I'm a Christian? How can I really know if God is holding me? Those are great questions to ask. If you want to talk more about that, please let me know. I would love to take you out for coffee or lunch and talk with you about that. But I think one thing, one thing Jesus is hitting on here, this is where all of this is going at. How do we know? Here's where Jesus is going. Jesus is telling these people that they were amazed at his works. They listened to his words in the sense that they heard him, maybe even followed him, but they refused to repent. They refused to repent. They heard Jesus. They were in awe of his miracles. They thought that Jesus' life was so cool, but they did not repent. And friends, here is where this whole passage is driving us to. Repentance is the marker. Repentance is the litmus test. Repentance is the gauge of who is in and who is out of the kingdom. Repentance, which maybe you know this, literally represents a turning from one direction to another direction. Repentance here represents a refusal to rely on self and instead resting in Jesus and his grace. Trusting in Jesus, not in your own ability to figure it out. Repentance means coming into the paradox of grace and recognizing that Jesus isn't so glad because you've done all this work for him. Jesus is glad when you recognize, Jesus, you've done all the work for me. So for us today, as we look at this reality of repentance, that this is what the people missed, I think there's some questions for us to ask. For some of us here today, I think some of us need to repent because we love the stuff about the kingdom. We love hearing about the kingdom. But are you actually putting the kingdom life into practice? Or are you being a hearer of the word only? What do you need to turn from and turn towards? For others, I think maybe there are folks here 
I don't have like specific people in mind. Maybe you actually do need to repent initially. Maybe you never have repented and said, I need to turn from my own way, from my sin, and turn towards Jesus. For others of us, in case you didn't know this, repentance is not a one and done. I prayed a prayer. I'm sorry for my sin. There, I've repented. No, 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 friends. Repentance is the ongoing life of the Christian, of continuing to see the ways that Jesus' good news and his grace is coming in and transforming and saving us again and again at deeper and deeper levels. Repentance is ongoing. Repentance doesn't just start when we become a Christian and then it's done. No. For me personally lately, just a little window into my life, lately I've been having to repent of despair. Just things don't work out. There's been stuff breaking in my house. Money's been tight. There's been issues with the church. There's been relationship conflict. My wife and I had some conflict, and I'm just like, this is just so hard. Just, life is just getting beat up. Wake up every day and just mad and grumpy. And the other day, metaphorically, not literally, I use the word literally way too much, metaphorically, the Spirit just punched me in the face. Like, dude, you are living in despair. You are living as if God is dead. Wow. So yes, I need to find joy, but I also need to repent of allowing despair to rule over me. And then turning from that and saying, Wow, I actually have a father who cares about me more than I even know. All this suffering, things that, you know, Nate's been struggling with, don't you think maybe the kingdom is breaking in in all of these areas of my life? Yeah, I think this season represents something God is wanting to do in me. So repentance is the needed response to the kingdom. And so I would say specifically to the teens, to the younger kids here, maybe to folks who are just starting out in your early adult life. Have you repented? Or are you just assuming you're in? Are you living in some kind of secret sin? Are you living a double life? Are you choosing for yourself what is in your best interest? I'm the one calling the shots for my life. Maybe there's some of the adults here too. Let me just ask you, who do you think actually knows what's in your best interest? You might think you do, and that's cool. Pretty sure God knows what's in your best interest more than you do. And by the way, that was the original sin. Adam and Eve chose for themselves what was in their best interest instead of actually trusting that God knew what was in their best interest. Have you recognized that Jesus is actually maybe showing himself to you in a lot of different areas, but you've just been missing it and you need to repent? So for all of us, repentance. I think it's where this passage is driving us towards. And again, repentance is not a one time I prayed a prayer back at camp or I prayed a prayer in college or I prayed a prayer when I first got saved and got into church. No, repentance is not just saying sorry. That's, that, that's important. Recognizing the need for forgiveness is huge. But repentance is this ongoing reality in the life of a follower of Jesus. And again, 
This is what Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, Jesus' own hometown, this is what they missed. They missed that repentance is what the point of the miracles was for, drawing people, that catalyst for that response, and that response is repentance. And they missed it, lastly, this is our last point, they missed it because the kingdom of God often comes in ways and in means that we normally miss. The kingdom of God often comes in disguise. The kingdom of God had shown up to these people and they missed it. And they missed it because they were looking for the kingdom of God in a whole bunch of other areas. I mean, even for us, like this isn't even my notes. Think about this. In what ways are you looking and expecting God to work? And maybe you're looking in all the wrong areas. Maybe you're looking for God to give you some kind of like prosperity and thriving and saying, well, if, I, if that happens, then I know God's working. I know the kingdom's working in there. No. The kingdom of God often comes in disguise. The kingdom of God comes and doesn't call for power, but for repentance. The kingdom of God came through John the Baptist, wearing rags, preaching all kinds of weird things, but calling people to prepare their souls for Jesus. The kingdom comes through Jesus, stepping into the lives of people, that most of society would have rejected. So for you, in what hidden ways is the kingdom of God breaking into your world? In what ways right now is God even allowing things into your life either to call you to repent or to grow in your ability to rest in him and that you're not going to be the one who figures it out? Parents, is this happening with your kids? Folks who are married, is this happening maybe through your spouse? Is this happening through your job? The confusing and frustrating things are happening. Is it happening with your money? Is it happening with your relationships? The confusing and frustrating things are happening. And yes, I, I know you're probably trying to ask God to help you grow and trust and figure those things out, but is it possible that God is allowing those things to be a catalyst for you to repent and actually realize this is where the kingdom is breaking into my life right now. All these terrible things I wish weren't happening is this maybe the very ground that's being broken up for the kingdom to come in right there. Last week, Scott preached about our feelings. Did I just say that? Yeah, I did, I did. For those of you who know, you know. And how we as a church need to grow in actually recognizing that our feelings show us what's going on inside. How many of you even right now are in suffering or frustration or some form of trial? And if I just said to you, well, what do you want to happen? You say, I don't even know what I want. I don't even know what I want anymore. Well, then what if I said to you, what do you need? I, I don't know what I need. Well, then what if I asked you, what do you feel right now? I'm just really mad, okay? Tell me about being mad. Well, this, doesn't, this didn't work out, so it makes me feel like I'm powerless. Oh, that's a really good word, powerless. I just feel like nothing will ever change. Do you see where we're going, friends? Okay, so then back up now. That's what you feel. What do you need? I need power. Yeah. 
So what do you think you want? I think I want somebody who has all the power. Do you see? What do you want? What do you think you need? What do you feel? Friends, we've got to learn to recognize and use that type of language because that's where we really discern what's going on in our souls. What's the Spirit trying to do there? Because, friends, that's, that's, where the, that's where the kingdom is breaking in, towards breaking in to our lives. And, and if you missed that sermon last week, I would encourage you to listen to that. Scott does a really good job of just fleshing some of that out in more detail. I'm just going to say this last thing. In what ways is it possible that the kingdom is breaking in through your own disappointments in relationships, in your own disappointment in Redemption Church, in your own disappointment in your pastors? Is it possible that God is actually breaking in through your disappointments and Jesus might actually be calling you to deeper trust, to deeper repentance, and to see the kingdom at work there? So are you listening? There's a lot of imagery in this passage about listening, listening to the flute being played, listening to the dirge, the call to enter in and participate in joy or in mourning. Are you listening to the way Jesus is wanting to you, wanting to call you to respond today? The band can uh, come up now, and we're going to close in a couple songs. And so as the band is coming up and as we're preparing to uh, just sing a couple quick songs in closing, just encourage you to maybe be quiet for just these next, maybe this next minute or two. And to listen for the voice of Jesus, of where we've heard his word. Jesus himself is the one addressing us through the text today. What do you think he's wanting you to do? Is there some soul work maybe you need to do? Is there maybe someone you need to go to and share with something about? If you, need, if you want to talk to a pastor, I'll definitely be available to talk with you. What do you think Jesus is wanting to say to you today? Let me pray for us, and then the band is going to lead us in some songs. Jesus, as we, as we have heard your warning as we have heard your call, I pray, God, that we would not be a church that presumes, that we would not be a church that just counts ourselves in the kingdom without first examining our own life, our own hearts. Jesus, thank you that you don't just show up with this warning and then leave us in suspense, but that you show us that the path in the kingdom looks like throwing off any confidence in us and asking you to come in and fill us with yourself. So Jesus, we need your help to do that today. I pray for my friends here today. Pray for myself. I pray for all of our families here at Redemption Jesus. That this life of ongoing repentance and renewal would be something that you build into the fabric of our people here. Jesus, we physically, literally, spiritually cannot do this unless you do this work in us. So we ask you, God, to do this. And even now, as we go to sing songs over each other, would you help us believe this more? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.